0: The kingdom parables of Jesus. Jesus gave and he taught in parables um, often, actually, a third of his teaching is going to be in parables, or two thirds of his teaching is going to be in parables from this point on. And um, all parables speak to the kingdom of God, but there are certain parables like the ones we are going to be looking at that speak directly towards the kingdom of God. And this will be the last time that we are in chapter 13 for our series of Matthew. And, and as we've seen already, Matthew chapter 13 has all of these unique parables of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is like a sower who went out and sowed seed in a field. It's, it's like a field where both wheat uh, and weeds are sown um, it's like uh, a mustard seed that grows into the tree. It's like leaven that goes in the bread, and so on and so forth. And I just want to remind us um, that one of the things that we're saying is that Jesus didn't just sort of wake up one morning and decide, "Well, I'm just going to talk in parables." Uh, remember what we said about parables uh, from the introduction, right? This is Jesus' response to the question, "Who are you? Who are you? Are you the Son of God?" John the Baptist coming and asking, having his uh, his uh, disciples come and ask him, "Are you the one who we've expected, or should we look wait for somebody else?" Right? Pharisees getting really, really uncomfortable with the way that this person is both gathering crowds but also doing lawless things to them, anyways. His family even wondering what's what's going on here, Um, and so Jesus shifts. And he begins to speak in parables. Things that both reveal and conceal was another thing that we said. But these parables are his response to the question. that the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's actually at hand in me and in through me, is what he's saying. And so as we've looked at all these parables so far and the different angles they give us on the kingdom, how it grows, what it's like, right? This morning we get another one, and this is uh, pointing towards the, the value of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom, and what that means for us. So let's look at that now, chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Two parables, like last week, the two that go together, there's two here, and these two will go together as well. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field." Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word to us. We pray, as we often do, that you would do a miracle, and by a miracle that you would soften hardened hearts, that you would allow your word to go into the deeper places of our heart that are hardened towards you, That you would change us as you promised to do and make us more like your son, Jesus. Would you do this for your glory, we pray. In his name, amen. Some of you are familiar with the famous auction house, Sotheby's. Um, This is, uh, I think, the London auction house, if I'm not mistaken. And in 1996, um, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, on that one. But this is the point. In 1996, some of you all remember this. Uh, they were in charge of the Jack, J- Jackie Kennedy Onassis' estate or were given all of her sort of treasures, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, to auction off, right? And what was remarkable about this auction was that the estimated values that the auction house, this is one of the most you know, respected auction houses that we have around to give value to things. The, the, the surprise of this is that they were so far off that from what, what they thought that this stuff would bring in to what it actually brought in, it was, it was sort of comical. Made them even question, should they even be doing what they're doing? Here's what I mean. They, they thought that this whole collection that she had would, be, would bring in around $5 million. By the end of the auction, the total that came in was $30 million. I mean, I guess if you don't think $25 million is a big deal, then no, you know, no big deal. Here are some of the examples that went on to, uh, to state um, you know, how off they were on the value here uh, John F. Kennedy's desk. Obviously, the husband to Jackie uh, Kennedy Onassis. uh, They asked $3,000 for it in the auction. Uh, It went for $1.5 million. It's a bit of a discrepancy there. Um, They had a 1910 German uh, Ethanware pot. Earthenware, I don't even know what that is. $800, it went for $37,000. I've got questions about that one. You could go on down here. There's a string of fake pearls that Jackie wore for $500 they auctioned off. It sold for $200,000. Jeff Kennedy's golf clubs, $1.16 million. A cigarette lighter, $85,000. All these things were way undervalued compared to what they went for This morning, as I said earlier, the parables that Jesus has given us, he's telling us about the value of the kingdom. And where I want to start this morning is just to acknowledge uh, all of us in the room, of course, as well, that we do a poor job of assessing or even identifying real value, real treasure in our lives. Right? We either overestimate or overvalue things in this world that we already are told and have been told in the Sermon on the Mount that moth and rust will destroy. At the same time, like the Southerby auction, right, we also undervalue real treasures, you know, like JFK's desk. I'll leave it at that, right? All in all, we do a poor job of assessing and identifying real value and real treasure. And that's what this parable is actually going to show us. And the good news, though, about this is that Jesus wants us to see and wants us to know the value of his kingdom. He wants you to know what you actually have, what's offered to you in him, and how it is the greatest thing to ever happen to you. Because why? He, he is the greatest thing to ever happen to you. So let's look at that this morning as we look at three things. Where kingdom treasure or kingdom value, I'm going to be using those, thing, those, those phrases you know, together. Where it's found, where kingdom treasure or kingdom value, or sorry, where it's found, what it does to you. We're going to look at what it does to you. And then how you know you have actually found kingdom treasure. So Let me say that again. Where kingdom treasure or kingdom value is found, what kingdom treasure does to you, and how you know. How you know you found it. Okay, so let's look at that first one, where. Where it's found. Look at this first parable, uh, the one with the field. Here we have a man as we... Just heard, who finds treasure in a field. Um, in almost every commentary that you'll read, this is not an uncommon event in this day. And why is this not uncommon? Might be uncommon to you, not uncommon to them. Well, for starters, they didn't have banks, right? And you can kind of see where this is going. They didn't have places to put uh, their valuables, their treasure securely. So if you had something, you, you probably hid it in your house. Um, some place in the floor something, you know, someplace where nobody would find it. But if you, if you got word that you were being invaded, which was also not uncommon, right? If somebody was coming in, a raid was coming in, then what you did is you took the valuables in your house and you went in some random field and you buried it where nobody would know where it was but you. I mean, that was the banking system, right? Now, you can see how this could play out in a number of different ways. Mainly if you got, should we say, unfortunately murdered in the raid, then the treasure dies with you as well. Until somebody who knows that this is kind of a common practice starts digging in a field and finds this, finds something hidden. This is sort of what people would be hearing at this point in time. It wouldn't be too far off uh, for them to sort of get behind and understand what Jesus is talking about. Secondly, though, as I know you're probably wondering, this sounds a little unethical, right? This this person finds treasure in a field buries it back up, (laughs) goes to the owner of the field and says, hey, I'd love to buy this without disclosing, right? And we all know if we've been in the housing market, we we got disclosure forms. Those are big deals. This sounds unethical. Just in case you're wondering, it's not. There is sort of a, in the Jewish law, a finder's keeper's law. Just in case that was unsettling to you, this was all within the law here for them, that they they found it, it was theirs, and so in this case, Right? This person could go and and buy the field and everything's okay. But what's the picture here? Again, some poor man finds a treasure that was hidden, that was under the surface. Hidden's the key word here. And when he discovered it, right, he hides it again and he gathers every last thing that he has and he sells it just to buy the field. I want you to try to visualize this. You're out and about of town, in town, right, running your errands. Um, and you come across your favorite neighbor who has all the good gossip of what's going on in the neighborhood, and they just can't stop telling you about Miss Smith and how Miss Smith has sold everything that she has, and she has gone and she has bought this terrible piece of land that nobody ever like thinks about on you know on the edge of of town, can't grow anything, and you just she just can't get beyond like why would she do this? She's talking about it. It's not good for growing anything. It's not going to be worth anything. Oh, well, have a good day. When we begin to visualize it a bit, right, we see that you have one person here, Miss Smith, in this case, who knows something that those around town don't know. And why? Because of what they see. This is a very visual, a very visual parable. It's what they see, and maybe more importantly, where they see, where they look. Everyone else just looks on the surface here. But Miss Smith, in our case, right, well, she's gone beneath the surface. She knows what's really there in this land that otherwise looks useless. And in this first parable, this is what Jesus is getting across. He is telling us where kingdom treasure, where kingdom value first is found. And it's what? It's under the surface. It's inside. It's hidden. You know, a lot of things have been hidden as we've looked at these parables. It's hidden, and it's not hidden because God wants to play tricks because what we value is so different than what he values. Jesus is teaching something here that the Bible has been talking about since Genesis, and that is what God values, what mankind values are two different things. What, what, did, what did God say to Samuel when he went to anoint a new king after Saul? Right? 1 Samuel 16. We probably have this printed somewhere on our walls. God tells Samuel when he goes to anoint. David, he says, do not look, what, on his apparent appearance, or on the height or the stature, because I have rejected him. And he's talking about Saul there. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, hear it? But the Lord looks at the heart, looks at what's hidden, looks at what's inside. This is where kingdom value, kingdom treasure is found in Jesus' kingdom. When you read this account in 1 Samuel, right, it's a perfect picture of what he's getting at of how the kingdom of God sees value and how the world sees value. When Jesse's sons, right, were lined up, if you go back and you read it, right, the the, the text says, surely, surely he will pick Eliab, right? Why? Because Eliab's the oldest, the strongest, perhaps the most handsome. And on down the line, Samuel goes, rejecting every single brother till the point he gets to the he says, is there, do you have another son somewhere? Like, this is not them. And of course, as we kept reading in 1 Samuel, he does. The youngest of, of the sons, out tending ordinary sheep, doing ordinary work in an ordinary field, right? The one that no one expected, and that's the point, right? Again, it's hidden. This is, this is where the treasure, the value of the kingdom comes. This is how it comes. This is where we find it. It's hidden. In our sin, right, we fail to look inside at things, at the heart of things. Generally speaking, how do most people assess value today in, in your world? And you can even say, how did I assess value? Maybe before I became a Christian, or even now at times when I, as, as a Christian, right, as, as, as I still creep into my old ways, how, how do people generally assess value? We look at the surface of things. We look superficially at things, right, which is often beauty. It gets high value marks in our culture, wealth, success. All those things, right, are surface things. It's not what's hidden, but what's on the surface. And because of that, we are not only bad at assessing value, not understanding what we have, we miss real treasure in the process. Right? And this is so, so true in our dating lives, but also in the way we network. And maybe, maybe you've done this, maybe you've had this done to you, right? We walk into a room, and even a church service like this, where we immediately start sizing everyone up. We assess if this place is a place that I want to belong, just based on what the people look like, how successful they appear. In dating, it's worse, right? You walk into a room, and immediately 80% of the people you've already sort of crossed out as potential you know, relationships, maybe even in a marriage. Why? Because they don't look the way you want them to look. Right? They don't, they, maybe they're not as successful or as wealthy as you want them to be. Right? So what do you do? You walk on by. You walk over it what the parables show. An immense value. You walk over immense treasure because you only looked on the surface. You judged. You weren't curious, as our friend Ted Lasso says, right? You didn't dig. You didn't ask questions. You didn't see what was inside the heart. And this is why it's hidden to us. We miss it, right? We have a different value system than that of heaven. And while we do this in our own lives to bring it back to the text, this is exactly what's happening to Jesus. Right? As we've... we've Giving you the overview of this uh, several times already in the series. It's what's happening to him. Remember how we said, as I said earlier, that these parables of the kingdom were Jesus' way of answering the question, Who are you? And in this parable, Jesus is telling them that he, right, his gospel is the treasure, it is the great per- pearl, right? This is the treasure of all tre- treasures, but they still miss it. Why? Because Jesus doesn't look like a king, he doesn't come to them in the ways that they are expecting him to come. We've said this already. He's from Nazareth. And the, we already know what the Bible thinks about Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Right? He doesn't align with either the religious leaders of the day or even the powerful and wealthy of the day. He sits with poor people, unimportant people. He sits with the outcasts, the culturally taboo. Right? Jesus did not have the appearance of a king. This is what the Old Testament has been talking about for years. But they missed it. And we miss it too, because we don't look in the places, we don't look for value in the way that God called, the way that God does. Until He changes us to see what real value is, right? If Jesus were to walk in here, according to the world's value system, right, you would not notice Him. That's what Scripture is saying. And you say, "Not my Jesus." Yes, <laughs> you're Jesus. He would be hidden to you. The whole world misses Jesus. His disciples, by the end of this, are all going to miss him. Why? Because treasure value typically doesn't end up on a cross. This, again, is that upside-down kingdom that he is bringing. Nothing about Jesus is the world's view of success and value and treasure. You have to learn to look differently at him in order to see it, in order to find treasure, because it's hidden. It's under the ground. And that's what this first parable is saying. Finding kingdom treasure, kingdom value, right, is going to come not by looking for success and value and worth as the world does, but as God does. And this means that we are going to have to look under the surface, in our hearts for this, for the things that he values, in the hearts of others. We're going to have to value what he values which often means we're going to need to do some more work, probably. But more importantly, we're going to need him to change us, to change the way we see, to change our hearts as we move in this direction or else we are doomed to just miss it, to just walk right over it and never know that what stands below us is real treasure. All right, so this is the first point, right? Where kingdom treasure, real kingdom value is found and it's not what we might expect. And that's what I want you to see in that first parable. But what, is, what does it do to us right, when we get it? What does kingdom treasure do to us when we get it? And this gets to the second point. Kingdom treasure transforms you. It transforms you. right? Let me, let me contrast that with improve. It doesn't improve you, which is what a lot of our self-help does. Right? The gospel transforms you from the inside out we actually see. And it does so because of its value. Tim Keller says, if we want the real treasure that the gospel, the gospel offers, we are going to have to get over the world's treasure. <laughs> I agree. How do we get over, though, the world's treasure? where well, we need to be transformed. Right? We need the gospel to come and change us. We see the real value of the kingdom. We see Jesus, and this is what begins to change us. We are transformed by the gospel because we begin to see its real value and its value changes us. When we look at the merchant here, we get get a taste of this. We have a different setup than in the first one, right? In that first parable, we have two different main characters. We have uh, the merchant here, though, who is typically a wealthy person, right? It's right to assume as much because this is their job. Their job was finding valuable things. Um, purchasing them and potentially selling them or holding on to them for, for wealth purposes. But second, unlike the first parable where treasure is found and then hidden, right, the merchant is actually searching for fine pearls, has an idea of what he's looking for. This is his world. It is his expertise, we might say. So what we are supposed to take away from this parable is what real treasure and value does to you when you find it. It causes you, what, to surrender all the other things in your life to obtain it. It causes you to surrender all the other treasures of your old life for the only treasure that actually matters, which is Jesus and his kingdom. Both men in the parables surrender everything for the treasure they find. Don't miss that. But the merchant's is a bit different. Right, think, think of all the wonderful things that this merchant probably had. I wanted to say earlier Just uh, for our younger disciples, right? I want you to think about what is the most valuable thing in your house, right? the most valuable toy that you have, the thing that you would not want to get rid of. Think about that for a second. We'll come back to it. That's this merchant. Tons of trinkets, tons of pearls, tons of really, really cool things because of his life's work. Now, think about the ways that this could have played out. Maybe the merchant had to sell all of his belongings, but suppose there were like one or two that, that he wasn't willing to give up in order to have this fine pearl. But that's not what happens, thankfully, right? So I don't look over that part of the text. When, when, when this person sells everything, we're talking about all the things that you just thought of and more as to what is valuable in your life. It's actually, though, when the merchant is confronted with the value of the great pearl, and this is where this one's unique, everything he has what is trivial by comparison. And this is where he's happy to hand it over. Right? That's the power of this treasure that Jesus is pointing to and how it transforms us. This is the power of Jesus in our life. Right? If you're a Christian in this room, you've experienced that in some level. Right? He, has, he has opened your eyes to himself. Right? And everything else pales in comparison to who he is. And so you're happy to give over these things right? Think about it this way. and This will come back to, this will bring back the, uh, the treasure that you're thinking of. I've heard, you know, many use this example. So, um, you know, think about what that thing of value is in your life that you just couldn't give up or wouldn't want to give up, or that you just think is the most, the best toy you have. Uh, for others in the room, well, like think about your baseball card collection. Think about the china that was passed down from generation to generation that you love. Think about, I don't know, like some jewelry, whatever it is, In this scenario, you also sadly have a chronic illness that's going to kill you. Isn't that the way it works? But somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've I've got a cure for this. I've got a cure for this. It's just going to cost you the baseball card collection. You can have the medicine. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you, you got to give me the baseball card collection. Or I'm going to give you the medicine. You got to give me the China. Okay. Fill in the blank. What would you do? Right. If you're following with me, you're like, this is, the, this is the most foolish question the pastor's ever asked. Of course I would give the baseball card collection, right? I would give whatever it is for this cure, for what I have to live, right? You'd be a fool not to do that. What's the point? It's the value of the great pearl, right? It's the value of the ultimate treasure that makes all treasures trivial, And that's what Jesus is trying to point out in this parable. Because when you have him, right, everything else fades. Everything everything else is given its value based on this treasure. The value of the great pearl for the merchant changes the merchant, right? It's the value of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus that changes you. And it changes you from the inside out where real treasure is. Notice in this parable that not only does the merchant know the value, right, but the seller knows the value too. The seller knows how much the pearl of great worth is too, right, and thus knows what it requires to obtain it. So there's no bargaining with him, right? The price is the price. And what does it require? It requires everything, everything. Everything. How does the merchant contemplate this decision? Does this person take time to to figure this out? No, just like you being asked to hand over your baseball card collection for life or uh, you being asked to hand over the jewelry for life, the the, the merchant does this without hesitation. And why? Again, this is what real treasure does. Because this is what Jesus does. When we see him, when our eyes are open to his beauty and to his wonder, everything else of value in our lives begins to pale in comparison. That's power. Actually, everything in our lives, I would argue, is actually reordered and given its proper place because of Jesus. Right? That's not a surface-level change. That's a heart-level change. That's all, just as all pearls to this merchant find their value in light of that great pearl, so all treasures in our lives Find their value in light of Jesus. At least this is the cost of being his disciple. Which brings us to one of the principles in these two parables, right? Treasures dictate our doing, right? Treasures dictate our doing. It's another way of saying what Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Treasure dictates doing, right? What we treasure will dictate our behavior, our lives, because treasure transforms. Treasure transforms. It's it's just a question of what your heart values. Right? And these parables of treasure and value, what they want us to ask ourselves, what is that? Right? It's it's an obvious question. What, What is it? It's something. If Jesus is not at the center of your life, right, if he's not the treasure that your heart is set on, something else is, and that something, what, is changing you. It's transforming you. Right? And this becomes the real danger of the parable in many ways, right? He's not offering just an option for you to consider. It's one or the other. Something is doing something to you that your heart is set on. Do you know what it is? What, what is the pearl of great value in your life that is dictating and giving value to everything else in your life? It has power. It is changing you. It's his point. It's dictating your doing. And of course, as as Christians, right, we also know that that when that happens, right, this becomes the grace of repentance, right, to, to give up all those other pearls that we thought were great treasure that aren't, to come back to the one that is. What is that for you this morning? What happens when it is put up against the real treasure, the real value of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Treasure transforms us. Only Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom have the power, the value, I would say, to truly capture our hearts and change us from the inside out where real growth needs to happen, where real change needs to happen. Do we see its value? Well, so far we've looked at where kingdom treasure is found. We've seen what it does to us when we find it. And then I just want to sort of tee up what I think is the, the most pointed part of this parable. How do you know when you find it? How do you know when you find it, right? And this is, the, this is the note that all Christians get to hit. It's joy. It's joy. Look back at the first parable with the man who buys the field. Notice what the text says. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. We don't get this detail the, with the merchant, but I want to assume that he too, in his joy, sold everything to buy the pearl. But joy, what is that? Joy is one of those experiences that you can't manufacture. You ever tried to just manufacture joy? You can't do it. Joy is elusive. It's mysterious, right? It just sort of shows up. Maybe it's watching someone play a sport, graduation, a baptism, maybe a wedding. Maybe it's the birth of your grandchild, right? Typically, joy comes from watching others flourish or to put it in a in another way, right? It comes from something outside of us. It comes from something outside of us. Something's been done to us that gives us the assurance, the relief even. Maybe it's knowing that things are going to be okay. Maybe it's for a split second, right? There's this there's this picture of, of everything that, 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 that you want to be true in your life. And everything's right with the world. Joy in the parable comes from outside the presence of those who find the treasure. Joy in the the parable comes from outside of those who find it. It comes in the form of that treasure. It comes in the form of the pearl. It does not come from within. And the way you know you have real joy or real treasure is there is joy in the sacrifice of giving all that you have for it because your eyes have been opened to its value. We experience this with hard work. You experience this with your kids, your spouse, your job, right? There's joy in the sacrifice of giving all that you have for those things, but those things can never be the ultimate thing, can they? We say that a lot here. Those things cannot be the ultimate thing. They cannot be the ultimate treasure that your heart looks to. And why? Well, for several reasons, but since we're dealing with value here, right, they are actually not valuable enough to bring you the hope that you need. They're not valuable enough to pay, as we can go into other other scriptural language, to pay the debt that you owe. They are not valuable enough, actually, to win your heart. In short, this is what the gospel does. This is what the gospel only has the power to do. Which is why what he offers is so valuable. If we can see it, if we know where to look. In short, I would say, just for time's sake, Jesus offers us relief. Let me, let me, let me talk about the gospel briefly from that angle. Offers us relief. Doriani in his commentary notes this, right? The, tre- the treasure that the gospel, excuse me, the treasure that is the gospel of Jesus Christ is what relieves you from all of your inadequacies. Think about that. The treasure that is the gospel of Jesus Christ is what relieves you of all of your inadequacies in this this life. In other words, the debt, which is the guilt, the shame, which is the way you've been wronged. The gospel in Jesus is the only thing that can bring you relief for that. The cross of Jesus and his resurrection is what has the power to do that. And that is the answer for all the ways that you fall short. That is the answer for all the ways that you have hurt others and yourself. For the ways that you have walked away from the great treasure that is our king. But also, right, it's the answer to all, all your loss. All, all the sadness in your life all your shame, and what you experience here, it's the only thing that heals you and others and and offers real hope in the midst of that, right? The gospel is what leads you home. The very place you're trying to, the very place you're looking for the treasures in your life to get you to. That's relief. That's what you want, We could put it in a bottle. It would be your treasure. You would give everything up in your bank account to have it right now. I guarantee it. And what Jesus is saying, it's free for you. I am it, right? I am it. It's yours for the taking, right? And how does He offer it? By giving up everything Himself for you. You see that? Right. How does he offer that kind of relief? Right? He's actually the one who gives up everything he has to go buy the treasure in that field. That's you. That is the gospel, which is why the writer of Hebrews says that it is actually joy for him to go to the cross to make that happen. That is mind-boggling. It is joy for him to go to the cross, to give himself away so that he could have you, which is his treasure. This is how he offers it. And you get the relief. You get the the atonement. That's another way to put it. You get the relationship. You get to know that one day, someday, all things are going to be made right. Want to put a price tag on that? How does that change the way you think about treasure? How does that change the way that you think about value? That's joy. That's joy. That's Jesus. Have you tasted and experienced the joy that he offers? I'll close with this. I'm I'm a sucker for halftime shows, especially football halftime shows. You know the ones where they, they bring somebody out, and I don't know how they figured out, you know, they probably did this leading up like there's a bunch of trials and stuff and somebody gets to come to half court and make a shot somebody gets to you know throw a football through you know like a little target and if they make it they get a million bucks or something i never get asked to be entered into these things um but man i'm a sucker for watching it because it's really cool because sometimes these people hit the shot right sometimes they make the, they make it and they get they get life-changing money one in particular that i was drawn to um uh, this happened in, back in 2011 this was the halftime of the sec championship <clears throat> and this is where Dr. Pepper, and this is our favorite one, when Dr. Pepper brings out two, two competitors, and they, again, there's been some, You've had, I, don't know, I don't know how they pick it. I've got to find out how they pick the people. But they bring them out, and, and they really just have sort of five yards there of where they have to throw as many footballs through the little circle, and whoever does it in 15 seconds gets, in this case, a check for $100,000. So, you know, Ivan Padilla Rodriguez, one of two contestants. She made 13 footballs through the 1.5-foot diameter hole from five yards. And in doing so, won $100,000 in scholarship money. Life-changing money for her. <laughs> Here's the best part, though. Here's why I tell you this. The moment she realized she had won before they ever called her name or anything, she just begins the ball, right? And this is, why, this is what draws us to this, right? She is just, she is just in tears, tears <clears throat> streaming down her face. Tracy Wolfson, the CBS sideline analyst, comes over and says, Ivan, tell me how important this is to you. And Ivan says, this is so important to me. Right? Tears streaming down her face. Can barely talk. Dr. Pepper is seriously the best thing that has ever happened to me. (laughs) She's not wrong. Right? Right. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? This parable is trying to tell you. This parable is trying to tell you. It's not your family. It's not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your degree. All those things are great. And they are wonderful gifts. It's another treasure, right, that defines all the other treasures. It's Jesus. It's his cross. And the, and the invitation that to have him and the kingdom that he brings is yours for the taking. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we know that just like the Southern auction, just in the ways that we undervalue real treasure, when your kingdom comes, when you return, we are going to be so overwhelmed by the treasure that it is. And I'm not going to try to, figure, like, to, to meet that expectation. I'm, I'm just ready to be overwhelmed by it. Would you give us a taste of that? Would that be the joy that we have as we go through life, sacrificing for the many things that you have called us to sacrifice for? For the joy of knowing you, which is your joy too. You went to the cross. It was for your joy that you went there to have us, may we experience that joy as we give up our lives for you. Real treasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.